0: There is no other. God the Father, revealed in God the Son, present everywhere through God the Spirit. Three in one. We worship you. We praise you. And as we open your word, we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive, that your Holy Spirit would work in us in such a way as to bring out new thoughts and new ideas, apply it maybe to old things and old ideas in the sense of causing us to take one step closer in in our walk with you, be one step closer in obedience to uh, areas of our lives that need to be surrendered to you. Lord, we just come to you asking you to work in us as we open your word together. In Jesus' name. Looking again this morning in Romans chapter 12, uh, we'll be looking at verses 9 uh, through uh, uh, 13 as far as the context goes, and so uh, Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 13. Paul writes, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at verse 9 and the idea of, of genuine love that it's speaking about here. I'm not going to go into great detail again this morning about it, but just a reminder that genuine love is something that begins with God. And he loved us first, and all of the things that we talked about in reference to that also leads us to that picture that a genuine love, as we, we love as God has loved us, we, we must love him. If we don't love God... We're never going to show the affections and things that is talked about here to one another. And to do this all requires the being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Again, going back to Ephesians 5, where he says, be filled, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. An ongoing process of growing in the Lord, the Holy Spirit having more and more and more of us as we grow in Christ. And so as we look at this, we realize that as we love God, as we love each other, we begin to think, if you will, the, the, the way God begins, the way God thinks as revealed in his word. As the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the word. We begin to understand the things that are evil. Before I was a Christian, I can tell you that I knew some things were evil. Uh, I could tell you that I knew Hitler was an evil man. I was uh, in uh, middle school at the time that Adolf Eichmann was caught. Adolf Eichmann was the uh, German officer in charge of the concentration camps and the uh, ethnic uh, cleansing in reference to the Jews and also blacks and and some Christians as well. And... uh, They caught him in, uh, I believe, Brazil, the Mossad of of Israel. And uh, normally they just simply assassinated these people uh, where they found them. But in this case, they actually arrested him or or captured him. I can't say arrested him. Snuck him out of the country and back to Israel and uh, had him brought up on war crimes. And, of course, this brought back to mind uh, in our culture in our time in the 60s, all of the things that had happened in the Holocaust. And I'm not a, at that point, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a child who goes to church. I've been exposed to Christianity through my grandmothers and, and some of my family members. I've been to church, but this was not a part of my life. I definitely did not know the Lord, nor much about the word of God. didn't know the, the Bible as the word of God, other than it was the book that my grandmother read all the time. And... Uh, So my understanding of Christianity, good and evil, that kind of thing, was pretty slim. But when I saw what I saw in the pictorials of Look Magazine and and Post and others that were at that time magazines that were revealing all of this stuff once again that had gone on, I realized there is a sense of evil. And I want to make sure that you understand as we talk about this, even without the Lord, we can understand a sense of evil. But when we become Christians, we begin to realize that, that there is more to evil than just the obvious wickedness of a few. Evil is anything that misses God's purpose. Anything that misses his purpose. Anything that misses the mark he has set before us in the sense of what needs to be accomplished, any, any variance is evil. And so we start to realize that all of us are evil. We've all missed the mark. And therefore, as, as sinners, unable to save ourselves, we need a savior. So that's this idea of abhor evil. I want to make sure that you did understand it's, broad, it's, it's a far broader term than just to hate what some evil people do. And then we're to hold fast to what is good. Well, the very first thing that is good and the only thing that is good, according to Jesus, as he spoke to the rich young ruler, is God. So if you're looking at holding fast to to what is good, the very first picture of holding fast is to what? Hold fast to God through the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. And so we hold fast to what is good. and, 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 And in the process, again, as we read the word of God, not only do we determine things that are missing the mark, but then we start to see things that are hitting the mark. And we desire those things become the things that we desire to do. Great battles sometimes going on in our soul and spirit uh, and, uh, with our flesh uh, trying to serve God and still living in a flesh that wants to be satisfied by the worldly things. But we strive to be transformed, to have renewed minds and hold fast to what is good. And in doing this, some of the things that are good, he goes on and defines even here in this passage. For instance, in chapter 10, he very clearly tells us to love one another. Uh, and, and, and in such a way, he, he basically says, um, love one another with brotherly affection. And, you know, in, in our culture, that's almost a dangerous phrase to say. Uh, if if I if I were to walk up to a friend of mine who especially who is a, a guy and I say I love you with brotherly affection, in our culture somebody might kind of take a stand back on that. So we need to understand what it means and it means with the kind of love that a family has. The kind of love that a husband should be having for his wife, the kind of family relationship between parents and children and even the extended family of, of grandparents and and, and cousins and, and, and you know that type of picture. That uniqueness, that, that specialness. And I realized, as I was reading the account of this, that this is the kind of love we were to have for one another, I realized that our culture is missing a lot of that today. It's a sad picture when you start to think about it. The number of people who, uh, whose kids are spread all over the place uh, and, and families that, that hardly ever see each other, I realize that I'm in that category when it comes to my son Joel. I, we we talk to each other at least once a week. We text even more than that. If uh, I found that with with all three of my kids, even the the, the ones that live here, if I don't text, I, I, I'm I'm going to miss out. Uh, so I've had to learn to do that. But but the idea is that. Uh, how we miss him. And when he was here last week, how we enjoyed him. And, and just, I can't tell you how many times I, I, I started to do it even now, beaming just from ear to ear, because he walked in the door and I got to talk with him for a while. And we talked about crazy stuff. We talked about important things. But uh, we talked about some spiritual things. And how much I, I longed to do that with him. And when I had the chance, how awesome and good it felt. Okay. And, and this kind of love, the desire to be with each other, to talk with each other, to encourage each other, to be concerned about each other's needs. This is this family love. love another, well, So I just put it here, love one another as a family but I put this idea of the family almost of the old world way of looking at it. When I say old world, there's still a lot of cultures where you go into a a, a, a particular culture, the family still is is an important unit, and you still have the patriarch of the family, uh, uh, the the eldest male uh, with the responsibilities. And And I was thinking, there is a little bit of that. That has fallen on me. Uh, you know, there's a point where it happens, and it can happen to any of you eventually. Uh, you, you become, and my sister from, from uh, Georgia calls me no less than twice a week. Uh, my sister from Santa Barbara, I'm in communication with every few weeks. My brother, uh, when he's in need, uh, I hear from him. Uh, and, and then my other sister in Arizona, uh, I hear from him on a regular basis. But whenever there's a crisis in their family, the first person they call is me. And I become the the sounding board, not necessarily the problem solver, but one that they can bounce it around with. They know I'm not going to become unglued if it's something that they've done that they shouldn't have done. They know that I'm still going to love them and come alongside, help them get through it. And again, that family kind of love and interaction, that family feeling and love we need to be having one for another. And then he goes on and says, outdo one another in showing honor. I thought outdo. You know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, when I think of normally outdo, and and it kind of does tie to this word, is the idea of of racing, besting someone. (laughs) But that's not his application here. We're not to best one another in showing honor. We're to outdo it, meaning I am to give preference to the other person. Oh, in this case, I'll just do it this way. I'm to give preference to you in showing honor. Given the opportunity to, to lift you up, rather than, than you coming along and, and, and showing honor to me, my desire is to show honor to you and to encourage you and to uh, recognize you as a child of God and 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 all that that might mean. and And it, it it goes even further, means to consider others ahead of yourself. This outdo one another and showing honor means to consider others ahead of yourself. In other words, all of us are, are equal before the throne of God. We live in a culture that stresses our equality. And and so uh, we we have certain rights in our culture. In fact, we call some of them inalienable rights, meaning that they are from God and that they're our right to do. And yet, in this consideration, if my giving up one of my rights would cause your life to be benefited, lifted up, encouraged, or blessed in some way, that would be something that, if I have genuine love, I would be willing to do. Now, how many of us, boy, lost it there for a second, how many of us as parents, would do that for our children. I know a number of parents that sacrifice themselves constantly in order to come alongside and minister to the needs of their children. They give up. I mean, you know, our culture tells us we worked X number of years and we have the right to what? Retire and enjoy the golden years. And I know I hear people say that they found the golden years are made of lead, they are just painted, all this kind of stuff. But, but the reality is, is that the idea was is that I've worked hard and now it's my turn to relax. Uh, and maybe that doesn't happen. I think of Bev Earhart and, and, and Dick Earhart when, when uh, their daughter died. And they took on the raising of their two granddaughters. Period. Uh, uh, uh from one from infant and the other one came into their life at 4 years old and they were mom and dad there was no father in the picture they gave up all of that growing old and retiring thought to raising two girls and to the best of their ability, raising them in the Lord. They sacrificed so that they could go to Christian school. Uh, they, they, gave, uh, they, they, they set things that they would like to do aside so that they, they could do sports or that they could do music. They could pursue uh, all of the things that, that, that God was giving them the gift to do so that they could help. The things that any parent would do that they had already done once. And so we come and find ourselves with family. We're willing to do that. We're supposed to incorporate that into this body. We're supposed to incorporate that into our relationship. We give to missions. Why do we do that? Not because we're wealthy. I look in here and I know we don't have any wealthy people, but do you realize that we have a generous congregation? Collectively, there's a good chunk of money that goes to missions. And when there's a specific need, it's not unusual to see this congregation rally. I've seen this congregation buy a van for a handicapped person. I've watched this congregation buy a bed for someone who, who uh, had to have a special bed to sleep in, and it wasn't, wasn't inexpensive. I've watched this congregation come alongside people to make sure they had enough money to get to, uh, to uh, Bible college. And so we, we, we're in the right mode as far as willing to separate with our money, but it's not just the money. It's the whole context of relationship. Giving of ourselves so that someone else can be blessed. Consider others ahead of ourselves. Um, uh, Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant." than yourself. I, I come alongside, and, and, it doesn't, and it doesn't say whatever they give a, a status. Consider others that have this status or better more significant than yourself. But these people are here, you don't have to worry about. In fact, at one point, the scripture is concerned, you know, to be careful. You don't spend too much time honoring the wealthy and ignoring the poor. You know, giving honor to these people and ignoring these people. So this, this picture of consider others more ahead of yourself, uh, others more significant than yourself. Uh, one picture uh, was specifically was from Adam Clark. He says, let neither grief nor envy affect your mind at seeing another how, uh, honored and yourself neglected. Let me say that again. Let neither grief nor envy affect your mind at seeing another honored and yourself neglected. In other words, when you see someone else in the body blessed and and they receive something that really would have made a difference in your life, but they, for whatever reason, received it, God allows it there and not here, there's a tendency to be a little bit what? yeah, jealous or downcast. It looks like God is favoring someone other than you. You can even have an attitude. I've even seen it. Where I've seen, uh, I don't know how many of you know Chuck Dwelly. Chuck was uh, diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer back in the uh, late 70s, uh, early 80s. And he had the elders of the church pray for him. Uh, the, the doctors went back the next week and did a new set of tests and were absolutely blown away because they couldn't find any cancer at all. That, Chuck was, uh, is still with us today. He's uh, uh, active. Okay, well, how come him and not me it's kind of attitude? And there were some people who were really actually felt cheated, because they've been praying for a healing for either themselves or for a friend. How come Chuck got one and I don't? Well, that's because we live in God's sovereign picture. We don't know how it all comes together. But we should be what? Rejoicing. And I want to share with you, one of the people in my life that has absolutely showed me how this works, Larry Brisbane. Not all of you know Larry. Uh, some of you uh, missed him because he moved a couple of years ago. We mentioned him in prayer this morning. Larry and Chloe Brisbane moved down to Carmel Valley, where it would be warmer. <laughs> and uh, they uh, larry is 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 a quadriplegic, been in a wheelchair over thirty years. Uh, he's already beat most of the statistics about people in his physical condition in surviving as long as he has. Uh, to uh, in 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 the in that particular situation, and uh, one of our elders. And every time there was a point of time to come to pray for someone who was sick and anoint with oil and pray over the sick, uh, he was he did not want to miss it. When we came to your house, we figured a way to get him in and everything else. You now, um, and he prayed with absolute confidence that God was hearing and that God was listening, and that unless God said otherwise, you know, there could be a healing happening right now. Do you think anybody had ever prayed over Larry? you think Larry had ever prayed for himself, his wife? Absolutely. And one day Larry shared with me something that stuck in my mind. He says, I am comfortable at this point leaving it in God's hands and his timing. I know with absolute confidence I have a new body eternally and that this is but a moment. But he never hesitated to pray with faith in confidence of God's sovereignty to see someone healed and had prayed over people who were touched and ministered to and healed and walked away singing joyously. kind of an attitude of of situations. Adam Clark also wrote something else. He says, I once heard the following conversation between two persons, which the reader will pardon my relating in this place, as it appears to be rather in point and is worthy of regard. I know not, said one, that I neglect to do anything in my power to promote the interest of true religion in this place. And yet I seem to be held in, every, in very little repute. Scarcely any peace person even notices me. To which the other replied, my good friend, set yourself down for nothing. And if any person takes you for something, it will be clear gain. I thought this was a queer saying, but how full of meaning and common sense. Whether the object of this good counsel was profited by, I I could not tell, but I looked on it and received an instruction for myself. What he was basically saying was, you had a person that was serving in the church, doing all the things that he was supposed to do, there every Sunday, giving and tithing and whatever, and when it came time, if you've got the full story, when it came time for leadership uh, promotion, he, he was not asked. And he was ticked off because he was doing everything that he should be doing. Why didn't they see that? Well, I could tell you right now, if that's his attitude, he's already shown why the, the Lord hasn't opened him up for leadership. And that's what Adam Clark was pointing out in reference to this passage. In verse 13, he says, uh, uh, we are to contribute to the needs of the saints. And this context of needs is very broad. It could be spiritual needs, physical needs, food, covering, shelter, thirst. And we read in First John this morning, you know, if, if you know that someone has a need and you have the means to meet it, What is your responsibility? To just walk away and say, I'll pray for you? No, it's to do something that you can within your means. If you're aware of a need God has provided you with, means to meet that need with others, then you should assist where you can. We've all been given resources various talents, spiritual gifts, to accomplish these things. It also says that we are to be showing hospitality. Um, A lot of times people uh, look at the idea of hospitality as simply opening up your home Possibly the idea of meeting the needs of missionaries when they're out of, you know, coming from out of town, uh, meeting the needs of, of Christians who are traveling. And back in the time of, of uh, the, the writing here, uh, those were definitely needs. Uh, it wasn't like there was an inn on every corner and this type of thing. And I do believe that that is encompassed in this, but it's bigger than that. It's going out of your way, being inconvenienced, if you will, to support and and help another person. It's the idea of hospitality here. Uh, And it includes the idea of strangers. Hebrews chapter 13 makes that very clear about entertaining who? Strangers. They may be what? Angels. That's not your motivation. I've I've heard some people say, well, I better do this. That could be an angel. Half joking maybe, but, but the idea is, is that's not our motivation. But the reality is, is that uh, there are people in need around us and hospitality reaches out. So when we're to minister to the needs of the body around us day to day and come alongside with assistance for even the strangers contributing to their needs. I think of Ted's mother-in-law Uh, who was traveling. They had the flat tire uh, or or car problem up in, I think, they were in Idaho, and the mechanic came alongside, and even though he was supposed to go home, he came alongside in such a way and said, I will stay on this until it's fixed so you guys can get back on the road. It still was the next day, but he did it. And he got got him on the road safely. That was a very hospitable thing to do. It was sacrificial. It was beyond the call of duty. And it ministered greatly to needs. Now, I don't know if that man was a Christian or not. Some might say he was just a good businessman, you know, wanting to create that good reputation. I, I'm not going to argue that. But it is a picture of what we're trying to say. By the way first uh Peter in chapter uh, 4 of First Peter says we're to do all of this without grumbling There's a tendency sometimes I'm guilty of this you know not again My sister calls and I see a call waiting and I roll my eyes. Without grumbling. While putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves, we are to do it without grumbling. Boy, that's not our natural way of doing things that's all there is to it everything I've shared with you is opposed to the flesh in the sense of what the flesh wants to do we want credit we want due recompense for whatever we do and more and we definitely all you have to do is watch a, 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 a Black Friday is that what they call it Black Friday when the shopping day All you have to do is watch the target line on Black Friday and realize what the human nature is. Get out of my way, get out of my way, that's my TV. I remember as a child, downtown Emporium, San Francisco, going with my grandmother to the bargain basement sale. They did that once every couple months. And they got all the stuff that nobody bought over the, the, the previous quarter back downstairs. And I would, she'd leave me sitting on the stairs about four steps up. I have, to this day, never seen anything so amazing. I mean, people pushing people, people grabbing at each other, actual clothing being held by two people and ripping. Uh, you know, uh, Stuff flying in the air. Amazing. But that's our nature. I want it. I got here, I got here, I was the first in line, I've been waiting all night. Whatever, we deserve, we earned, we whatever. And this is not the Christian attitude, that's the attitude of the flesh. And if it's something I don't want to do, I tend to do what? Drag my feet. But I'm not any different than anybody else there. I see my own needs, and I have to confess more than the needs my own wants. And I think if I meet this need over here, I can't meet this need, want, here. God's just trying to change that. This is what renewing our mind is all about, having a different way of looking at the value of our resources and what it's there for. Our resources if we, we we say this thing, we give a percentage to our our, our giving on on, a, on at the church, and then we say, and the rest belongs to God as well. if that's the case, then as we mature as we, as we, our, as our mind is renewed and as we we grow in Christ as the transformation is is taking place, there be, should be more times where we are at that point where we would say, I would give up this' For them to have that. And then finally, here Paul, knowing the battle between flesh and spirit, put in the very middle of this section, the one I skipped, verse 11: Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I can rephrase that and say, I am to serve the Lord with a fervent zeal and in such a way as to not draw attention to myself. (laughs) Serving others in his name through the resources he has provided without jealousy when I see another serving with greater resources or receiving things that I wished I had. And this idea of serving the Lord, I serve the Lord, I am a slave to the Lord. Curios. He has all the rights over me. Sovereign in all respects. Matthew points out this kind of relationship. And it can be given to only one. He says you can only serve one master. When it comes to this kind of relationship, you can only give this loyalty, this relationship to one. You either serve the Lord or you don't. And if you don't serve the Lord, you automatically are in a second category. You're serving the devil. I know people say that's harsh, that's too black and white, but you're either serving the Lord or you're not. If you're not, it says if you're not with me, you are against me. And no matter what your status, doesn't matter what physical situation you have, how much money you have, what your health is, all of us are called to serve the Lord. In whatever capacity we are at the point that right now, we are called to serve the Lord. And there's no equality, if you will, in the health finances or anything else in the sense that every one of us in this room have the same health, the same resources, the the same amount of things. But where you are now, with what you have now, you are called to serve the Lord. Donald Barnhouse put it this way, you may be the president of an advertising uh, agency or you may be a patient in a home for incurables. But the call is the same. Love, putting others first, with a fervent zeal, serving the Lord. This idea of a fervent zeal, by the way, and not being slothful in zeal. Uh, the word slothful here, slothful here is to, uh, to not be tardy, slow to act, lagging behind. Uh, and the word zeal here is to be dir- diligent, earnest, uh, even in the idea of in haste, something that needs to be done. Be slow in doing what needs to be done. Uh, uh, be fervent in spirit. The idea of fervent is um, water coming to a boil. I don't know how many of you have heard the uh, definition of this word before, but fervent, uh, melt, uh, molten uh, steel, bubbling, okay? It's it's under control, that would be the Holy Spirit containing it, but it's ready to go to do its to serve its purpose. It even is the idea of fervent is something that is glowing with heat because again that smelting process. Um, and and so we are to be uh, fervent in spirit. And this idea of spirit could some say it's the Holy Spirit. Others say it's the spirit of of, of our, our our spirit. I see this idea of being fervent in our heart, soul, and and, and, uh, in our dreams, if you will, in every way, being fervent in our spirit as we serve the Lord. And so, in other words, our spirit is is willing, desires to serve. And as it comes to a boil, the idea is that we're active, we're doing it. And, And in a sense, that's the zeal. Once it comes to a boil, how fast, if you need boiling water for something, how fast do you have to use it? Well, you can just turn it off and wait until the next day, right? No, if you don't use it immediately, it's not going to accomplish the purpose, is it? And so there's that sense of zeal tied to that, the haste to make sure now that God has put it all together, don't, don't tarry, don't be slothful, don't be slow. Let's go, go to it and do it. I'm to be doing what needs to be done around me as God reveals it to me. There was a person that we saw in the book of Acts uh, in chapter 18, Apollos, says that he was that kind of guy. And even though he didn't understand everything in reference to Christ, he was out there preaching him and showing uh, everybody how the Old Testament uh, testified to Christ, and he couldn't wait. He he had this zeal, this earnestness. He was uh, fervent in his presentation. Uh, it said, I think it says earnest or eager, but but that same word, fervent. He was boiling, ready to go. He couldn't wait to declare. Okay, what does it take to get to that point? Well, part of it is what we're doing today. We've, you know, as the idea is, is, is doing something that turns on the flame. Reading the Word of God, prayer, coming together and serving together in the sense of of, of ministering one to another, uh, to encourage each other, to stimulate each other to kind of get that fire going so that there's, it comes to a boil, so that we're ready when we go somewhere or do something on a daily basis, even being in the Lord, being in prayer, being in the word, so that we're ready to declare, ready to spill forth. We're always ready to serve in that sense. Peter tells us to be ready in and out of, 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 of season, in a sense, to do what? To declare, to tell what God has done. kind of closing this up. When the world serves, the tendency is to say, look at me. We hear on the news about all of the good things that many people do, all the money that they have been helping to raise for you know, whether it's farm aid or, or HIV or earthquakes or whatever, and they'll say, such and such a concert headed up by such and such a person got together and they did this. By the way, that's a good thing. Don't don't misunderstand. I don't have a problem with that. But what I'm saying is is that we're anxious to give that credit. You know, say, look what so-and-so did. And there is a tendency to say, look at me. Look what I have done. Looking for the honor and the praise from man. As Christians, though, we're told very explicitly that we are not to be looking for that praise. In fact, in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 both tell us that we're not to be doing the things that we do to be pleasing man. We're doing them because of what God has done to, for us and we want to bless God. The idea of ministering to the needs of those around us putting others ahead of ourselves being fervent in spirit all of this is something that God produces in us as we are transformed as our minds are renewed so I kind of put it this way in my little summary for me I am to serve the Lord with a fervent zeal putting others ahead of myself Excited to see others blessed, even when it appears the train has passed me by. And according to Peter, four nine, chapter first, Peter four nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And again. In the flesh, this cannot be done. But filled with the spirit, with the transforming of our mind, the renewing of our mind becomes possible. It's one of those things that once we've seen what Christ has done for us and we begin to grasp it, we realize how important it is that we share that compassion, that love with someone else. I'd like to share with you from 1 Peter Chapter 1, starting with the 13th verse. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. through the living and abiding word of God. Christ has done the work so that we can come not only to eternity, but while here to serve him. And serving him is to try to have to the best of our ability and through the Holy Spirit in us as we grow in this, hopefully a growing, abounding, more and more type of relationship to see the world around us through the eyes of Christ, the ears of Christ, and have the words of Christ to bring hope, and uh, I see that very clearly here. You know, this is to be something that is of a fervent zeal in us. And so, as we come to communion this morning, it's an opportunity for us to say, "Lord, give us that." I almost have to say it, I guess, in a sense, uh, scripturally, give us that 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 renew that love. You know, uh, that we have for you. And, and cause it to be kindled and, 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 and on fire for you. Um, it, was neat, it was interesting to see uh, Donald Barnhouse use the word a glow in the spirit. That seems to me something that's normally reserved for Pentecostals. And here, Donald Barnhouse was saying, being a glow in the spirit, meaning being on fire enough that people would look at you and say, Oh, I think he's been with Jesus. Would the ushers come forward? Um, hold the communion until we've all been served and we'll share together.
1: sing hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 you're the lifter
0: picture when you're too weary to go on he holds your head he lifts your head um, all of what we've talked about is made possible through what Christ has done for us and he did it through the cross and so when he says for us to pick up our cross and to follow him he's he's telling us to be prepared to become that kind of attitude that a- attitude of, of, of putting others ahead of yourself, making saying that others are more significant than yourself, loving others before they love you, uh, even to the point of loving your enemies. And even, in some cases, he says, to give them water and to, and to feed them. Such a different way of looking at it. And the only way that we can have the mind of Christ is to accept again what he has done for us that he emptied himself became a man God in the flesh didn't empty himself of his nature God man even to the point of serving man to the point of the cross And so at the supper on the night of his betrayal, he took bread, and he just clearly said, this is my body. It's been broken for you. As often as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Taking the cup of wine from the table, lifting it up, made that very clear picture that would last until he comes again as often as we share this cup and share the bread together we're to do it until he comes again he says and the picture is this is the blood that's been poured out to purchase the covenant and what we need to recognize is that everything that needed to be accomplished for our salvation was accomplished in that act nothing left undone When he said it is finished, it is done. We bring nothing to the table because there is nothing we could bring to the table that would help. And he asks us as often as we do this to do it in remembrance of him. Father, again, as we come to your table, we recognize how weak we are and and how caught up in the flesh we still are and how much the, the need for transformation and renewal still needs to occur and yet Lord I, I know that, that many of us if we take the time while we can see where our sins are now we can also see where you have changed us where you have moved in our lives where you've moved in our hearts caused various things that would be things as a non-believer we would never have done as things that are commonplace and normal and even anticipated with expectation and excitement now All of that is because of what you have done for us. But, Lord, do not let us be content and just rest where we are, but that we would look ahead with that desire to serve you even more, to be bolder for you, to have your love abound more in us, that we might minister to our families, to each other, and to the the community that you've placed us in and to the world around us, with the resources that you've given us, that we might glorify you in every way. We worship you, we thank you, we honor you, we glorify you. You alone are worthy of our praise. Thank you for the grace you've lavished on us. In Jesus' name.